Welcome back to Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by my friend and co-host, Brian Kaufman. Today, we're diving into week 11 of the college football season. But before we get started, just a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. If you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. You can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. That's where I give out all my college football picks each week. Last week, not the best week, not the worst week, four and five, missed on my money line parlay for the season sitting at 54 and 47 against the spread. I've hit two of my money line parlays on the year. So just under plus 12 units on the season on those money line parlays. We got a few weeks left looking to finish it strong. Things are getting tough, but we're going to finish out strong. Brian, how are you? I'm great, man. Another great week of college football. Had some celebrations this weekend, so we got to hang out and uh, unfortunately watch some of Penn State, Maryland together. We'll get to that a little bit later on, but I'm doing great. I'm doing great and, and you know, feel one step closer to uh, a little bit clearer of a college football playoff picture. I feel like we had some some formal eliminations this weekend that we'll get into, too. Yeah, we sure did. We had some clinchings. We had some eliminations, things. The the picture is getting clearer. The puzzle is coming together. And one of those teams that did clinch a berth in their conference championship game was the TCU Horn Frogs, who remain undefeated after taking down the Texas Longhorns on the road 17 to 10. So, Brian, I want to start there and I want to get your opinion or I want to get your thoughts on or understand at least where were you on this game coming into it because I feel like throughout the course of the week there were some very strong opinions some very defined camps coming into this game so where were you coming into this game so I said the last time we we chatted on the air that I thought this was the loss like I I I thought it was gonna happen I but that was before a line came out and I was stunned that Texas was such a big favorite. I really was. And and presumably it's because the understanding was that Texas would be able to keep up offense. I mean, Texas has been one of the better offenses in the Big 12 um, and they obviously certainly were not able to do that. So coming into the game, I, I thought a trap definitely could happen. I think it's it's one of those things and you know you try to you try to learn as you go but like playing at Texas just you know night game big crowd top 5 team coming in they I don't think they've beaten a top 5 team in a while it it just had the makings of it and maybe you know I naively uh overestimated that the Longhorn football team would actually be prepared to play um so so I hope that answers your question of how I felt going into it and I think like Coming out of it, I I, I weirdly kind of thought this was like a best case scenario type of win for TCU, right? Like grinding it out ugly. We hadn't really seen that. They scored 35 points every week. Um, But having the defense show up, absolutely stuff a team that, like I said, has been pretty good offensively. I mean, Texas had less than 200 yards in the game, even when they've been losing Bijan Robinson's tended to be able to get his without a ton of issue. 12 carries, 29 yards in the game. Um, so just a really impressive performance. The offense for TCU, not great in this game, but the game never really felt as close as the final score said, in my opinion. And so um, I came away very, very impressed with TCU um, for showing me something that maybe I hadn't seen from them and, and didn't know if I could see from them, which is, hey, this is sloppy. Figure out a way to win. Um, I know they've overcome some double digit deficits, but that's more like, okay, we're going to turn it on offensively and score 28 points in the second half. Um, that's not what they did here. They, um, they were able to just kind of win this slug fest. So I, I was impressed. I, I, I definitely was. And, and I'll admit when I'm wrong, I thought that, that they'd trip up. And now to me, you know, Baylor lost by a few touchdowns at home this weekend. Like the path to me looks, looks pretty clear for an unbeaten regular season for TCU. I agree with you completely that 
this was almost the ideal win for them because it made them seem like a more well-rounded team. I think the national perception of TCU was they're this high-flying running-gun team that can only win shootouts, that can only win if they're scoring 40 points. But I was actually very impressed by the defensive lines on both sides in these games, Texas and TCU. I thought the defensive lines were, were both very good. It was, like you said, it was nice to see TCU win with defense, stop the run. They ran the ball very effectively. Kendra Miller had a great game, 138 yards on the ground. And I think this should help alleviate some concerns or what I feel like more are excuses not to rank TCU high, where it's like, well, they're one-dimensional. I think they, they showed they're very much not one-dimensional by winning this game the way they were able to win it. The reason I wanted to ask you that question, kind of where you stood before this game, is because I, in all my years of watching college football, I don't ever remember a bigger discrepancy between what people thought was going to happen in this game, what the line said was going to happen in this game, and what took place on the field leading up to this game. If you looked at the line, Texas favored by seven and a half, and you looked at what people, every, most people, I shouldn't say every, because not every, but a lot of the people that I trust and respect and listen to and read that are heavily involved in college ball gambling, everybody was on Texas. Everybody was on Texas. And so all that combined, you would have thought that Texas was the undefeated team and TCU was the three-loss team coming into this game. And I just do not understand why that was the case. I took TCU plus seven and a half. That was one of my four wins on the weekend. And I kind of felt like a square doing it in the lead up to it. I'm like, well, everybody is saying this, but that doesn't didn't feel right to me because I've watched TCU a ton this year. And I've, I think they are a good football team. I think they're one of the five best teams in the country. Texas at no point during the season has ever felt as good as their analytics say they are. And I, I like analytics a lot. I find them extremely valuable. I think they can teach you things about a team that you might not be able to easily see watching them. But at some point, sometimes they're just wrong. Like there are times where the analytics might say this team is good, but if they don't win, they're not good. This kind of goes back to my whole, what happens on the field has to matter And I just can't ever remember a bigger discrepancy between what we have seen on the field leading up to this game uh, and what everybody thought would happen in this game. So that just really baffled me. And I think TCU had to put to to bed once and for all with that performance last night. They are unequivocally the better team than Texas. Do you think that's a question at this point? No, it's not. And I think like... Uh, I I read this somewhere, so it's not an original thought, but like that's like the one thing SP plus hasn't been able to account for this year is that Texas is fully not pack and it like, hasn't been able to account for this. It They're ranked number eight uh, in SP plus after this loss. And I don't think that anybody is making an argument that they're a top 10 team. And that I think they're, a, you know, a fringe top 25 team, which is what they've acted like all year. So I think you're, I think you're totally right. Yeah. So I think, Let's. I don't want to dwell on the Texas aspect of this of this because TCU moved to ten and zero with that win, and it was a huge win for them. So, Brian, at this point, what else does TCU need to do to prove that they belong? Because, like I kind of just said, in my mind, there is no doubt that they belong. I think they've shown they can. They have a good offense. Their defense is at least good enough to win a game like last night. You need to be well rounded, and and they prove that. In my mind, they have done everything that you can possibly do playing in the Big 12 to prove that they belong in this college football playoff conversation and that they are currently one of the best five teams in the country. What else can they do other than go undefeated? Is there something you are looking for from them to still say, like, they're legit? Well, no, I think they're legit. I I do still go... I think it's like I would look at the question this way. So I think they're they're going to make the playoff if they win out. That's not in question. I think that 
they are going to be ranked in the top four again when the rankings come out. And so they belong in the conversation. And I think that they are in the conversation. I think maybe the question is more like, what do they need to do for me to not think they're going to absolutely get blown out as the four seed if they face Georgia in, in the first game of the playoff. Right. And so like for that one, I don't know what it is that they can do. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. I don't know that they could compete with Georgia. Like, I don't feel confident that they can. But that doesn't mean that they're not one of the best five teams in the country right now. Absolutely belong in the conversation. Absolutely, you know, can and should make the playoff if if they keep going at this rate. Um, but I think that's just, like, kind of the, the college football world we live in. They're an excellent story. It's been wildly fun. Sonny Dykes has them playing super well. And I don't think that they'll win a playoff game. And, and so, like, I, I don't know. May, and maybe I'm not doing a good job of reacting in real time, using my eyes, saying, hey, things are different. TCU can do it. I just I, – I tend to like to go with what I know, and I know Georgia's defense is absolutely smothering, and their offense is really good too. And I know that's not where necessarily you wanted to go with the conversation, but I think that they – I think that they – are getting respect in the sense of people there's no there's no conversation about if they'll make the playoff if they keep doing what they're doing and i think there was the last couple of weeks i think we're past that especially with this win over texas um and and so i guess maybe they deserve their flowers a bit before i pivot to them getting smashed in the playoff game but like that's that's kind of where i'm at that's it's it's an unfortunate reality i feel like I don't think there's anything they can do to make me think that Georgia wouldn't beat them, but I don't know that there's anything anybody in the country other than maybe Ohio, like if Ohio State just put the beat down on Michigan or vice versa. Although we saw Michigan, like I don't think that Michigan, this is a tangent now, I don't think Michigan is significantly better than they were last year, and we saw how Georgia handled them last year. I think Georgia is comparable, probably slightly worse, but I don't think there's enough difference between the two teams that we saw play last year to make me think that Michigan has a chance against that Georgia team. So it's really like if Ohio State just absolutely smashed Michigan, physically dominated them, ran the ball well, which who knows now with the, with the running back injuries that they potentially have and dominated on defense. That is the only thing that could, hap- that could happen to make me think, okay, this team has a shot against Georgia. However, I don't view that as an indictment on TCU at all. Because I'm like, nobody can compete with them, much less a team in its with a, a, a first-year head coach I don't think it should be expected to compete with them. Like, I don't view that as an indictment. I I think we're, like, we get so caught up at this time of year in who's going to make the playoff and can they complete compete in the playoff. And I think it's good enough right now to just say, TCU is one of the best four teams in the country. They're going to make the playoff. That's an unbelievable accomplishment and maybe something they can build on going forward. So that's kind of where I stand with, with TCU. Uh, One last question for you on the TCU Big 12 topic. So TCU's in. We know that. They're in the Big 12 championship game. And there are a lot of scenarios that can still play out as far as who they face. There's an unlikely scenario where there's a six-way tie for second between Kansas (laughs) State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas, Kansas, and Texas Tech, where they're all five and four. Now that's probably not going to happen. But there are still a few other likely scenarios. Most likely, they will probably play Kansas State. But there is a non-zero chance they could play Texas or Oklahoma State. Who do you think they should most want to play in that championship game? And who should they least want to play in that championship game? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll start with least because I think it's the likely scenario. I, I think it's Kansas State. I mean, they they had them on the ropes and and, you know, you don't really want to have to prove yourself again against a team that that for much of that game into the fourth quarter had the, had their number. Um, so I would say that that would be um, – I think it's going to be scary. I mean, I think every game is scary as you're trying to lock down a, a, a playoff berth, but I think Kansas State would, would give them a great game. I think as far as who they'd want to play, um, 
I think you can make an argument for a few, uh, but to kind of combine the two questions we were going to talk about here, like I think that a really good scenario for them and for the conference is if they did somehow get Texas again and kind of like beat that ass a little bit, you know, and like send them on their way and, and say the big 12 is going to be just fine. Thank you very much. Um, so I think that would be a fun one, but I think I would say um, Kansas state would be the scariest one for me. And you can make an argument for anybody else that, that I'd be more confident if I'm a TCU fan, Oklahoma state, Texas at all. I think you're right about the Texas going and beating Texas in the Big 12 championship game being the best scenario for Brett Yormark, Big 12 commissioner, and the, the future of the Big 12 as a whole. But I, I also just think the best thing that could possibly happen for the Big 12 is getting a non-Texas or Oklahoma team into the college football playoff because I think that really solidifies the conference in the mind of football fans going forward where it's like, okay, TCU – is a contender. They could be this team that really steps up, especially like when you have a first year head coach and they're doing this right away. I think people will let their imaginations run wild with what they might be able to accomplish there. Once Sonny Dykes really gets his footing and uh, establishes himself a little bit more there. So I think no matter what the best thing for the big 12 would just be get TCU in the college football playoff no matter what happens. Have them be the one true champion, if you will. <laughs> exactly. I heard somebody, I heard somebody, I can't remember who, but somebody, a TCU alumni fan, whatever, was talking about how like they never feel like they will get in the playoff after that season, after that <laughs> one true champion Baylor TCU fiasco, they just feel like it's it's impossible. They don't trust. They got it. a lot of scars. <laughs> they got a lot of scars from that season, understandably so. But I think it. I mean, I I don't think there's really a question. Win and you're in. Win three games TCU, and you're in. And they have a great chance to do it. I think they ultimately will. A team that I am not so sure about but now seems to have a fairly good chance of of getting in is USC in the Pac-12. And this was a really interesting weekend for the Pac-12 because if you were looking ahead at the schedule at all, you would know that next weekend should have been a monster weekend in the Pac-12 where USC was going to take on UCLA and still is, and Utah <laughs> is going to take on Oregon. But those matchups lost a little bit of, of their luster because Oregon lost to Washington and UCLA lost to Arizona, effectively eliminating both of those schools from the college ball playoff conversation, but not from the PAC 12 championship conversation, but it leaves USC as the lone one loss team in the PAC 12. And really their only realistic college ball playoff uh, option at this point. So Brian, as fun as those games were to watch, not ideal for the PAC 12. Why does this seem to happen to the PAC 12 every year? I don't know, but it sure does. I mean, this was supposed to be, like you said, like their night in the spotlight, a doubleheader of important games with national implications that everybody will be interested in. Honestly, two of, I mean, and like you said, still are the, the, the better matchups on paper uh, next week at all. And now you said it lost a little luster. I think it lost a lot of luster. Um, I don't know why this keeps happening, but the first thought that I have is like, it's a there's there's good teams in the league, right? Like they they cannibalize themselves a bit, right? Like there there could be realistically five Pac-12 teams in the top 15 of the college football playoff rankings this week, right? And so that it's it's hard to win leagues like that. They have uh, a lot of good teams towards the top, and I would argue no like. Ohio State of the Big Ten that's like you're going to consistently win it year in, year out, not right now anyways. Um, and so it, it's tough, but they just can't they just can't figure it out. Now, like you said, the, the path is there for USC, but I think like 
I, I have doubts about them too, right? Like I think I, I joined the consensus and obviously now it feels silly, but that, that Oregon looked the strongest of the Pac-12 contenders going into this week. Now USC has UCLA and Notre Dame and potential and whoever's second in the Pac-12, if they make they win those games and make the Pac-12 title game, um, that would be great. That would be three quality wins in a row and a, and a conference championship. And I think that's asking a lot of them. I think that might be asking too much of them, to be honest with you. So I think, you know, trying to have a little foresight, we might be headed down a similar path again. Um, I don't know why it happens. It's got to be wildly frustrating out there, um, especially, you know, with a team like Oregon, where I believe on the second second in-season episode of this podcast, I said, I wish I could give back Oregon in the wins pool. And obviously then they won eight in a row. were absolutely unstoppable right back in the playoff conversation only to kind of stub your toe like this. And and it is sort of, it has become an expectation that if you're in the PAC 12 and you start to become in the playoff conversation, something goes wrong. And it just so happened to happen to two teams this week. Um, yeah, a big bummer. Cause I, I was excited for some PAC 12 feature time. I gotta be honest. I was too, but I think I have an answer to my own question. All right. And I think it's that the defenses in this league simply are not good enough. There are some fantastic offenses in this league, but the the defenses just aren't there when you look at the other top teams. If you look at the S the D- SP plus defensive rankings, Oregon 59th, USC 47th, UCLA 66th. And when you're talking about defenses that are, I mean, that 66 is almost exactly middle of the entire country. That's that's not good enough if you're talking about going to the, the college ball playoff because it makes you susceptible to weird things happening, to fluky things happening, right? And I think that is the... That's the challenge right now. They got to, those teams all have to improve defensively. Now, the irony of the whole thing is that Utah probably has the best defense of all of those contenders, and they are a cam rising interception in the end zone in week one away from, you know, sitting pretty, pretty good, uh, staring down a potential USC-Utah rematch in the Pac-12 championship game for probably a trip to the college football playoff on the line. And to take it a little more macro, this is, again, why I'm so excited for the 12-team playoff because I just feel like right now we kind of have this existential, existential question of would you rather be a league like the ACC where or the ACC of the last several years where it's not the greatest league, but you have one great team in Clemson versus a league like the Pac-12 where you have a lot of very good teams, a bunch of top 15, top 25 teams, but no team that's just going to run roughshod over the league. I think it's a lot more fun as a fan to watch a league like the Pac-12, but if you're the commissioner of the league, you'd probably rather have the ACC where you have a consistent college football playoff contender or even the Big Ten. I mean, like, let's not act like the Big Ten has been the most competitive league. Michigan won it last year, but that's Ohio State's league. Ohio State is basically on another level than the the entire rest of that conference. I think the bottom tier of the Big Ten is at a higher level than the bottom tier of the uh, the Pac-12, certainly, but... That's Ohio State's league with Michigan as the closest challenger. But I think when you get to the 12-team playoff era, it doesn't matter. You can enjoy a league like the Pac-12 so much more. You can give it the attention and focus it deserves. Because if we were in the 12-team playoff right now, instead of saying those two teams are eliminated, what we'd be saying is, wow, the Pac-12 race these last two weeks is going to be crazy. We have USC, Oregon, Utah, all with one conference loss, all competing for a chance to get in the that Pac-12 championship game and go to the playoff. So I think at the end of the day, it's these defenses aren't good enough. They need to improve defensively. But come the 12-team playoff era, we'll also be able to enjoy this league a lot more. I think that's totally fair, and they might be looking at two or three teams in a in a twelve team playoff era this this year as well, right? And like, I have no problem with 
Oregon still getting a crack at a first round game. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I'm with you. And I, I think that's a phenomenal point. So I'm just going to ask you point blank. Does USC have what it takes to, they'll have to run the table the rest of the way. Can they run the table and get in the college football playoff? Do they have what it takes? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's three good games, too, right? It's not talking about TCU, who needs to beat Baylor, and I think it's Iowa State. And then and then the championship, I mean, UCLA and Notre Dame, uh, I think they, they drop one of those. I do. I think the injury to running back Travis Dye is going to be big, too. Yeah, that was uh, tough. I think, I think that's huge for them. I think that's going to really hurt their running game. And that, combined with the lack of defense, I think you're going to see. I mean, they could lose this weekend to U- UCLA. They could lose a Pac-12 championship game to Oregon or Utah. I, I thought Utah was the better team when they played. Granted, it was in Salt Lake City. Uh, I thought Caleb Williams was the better quarterback in that game, but you, uh, Utah seemed to be the better team. They did what it, they did what they needed to do to win the game. They were able to. They never got down. They were down early. They came back, and my I would bet Utah again because I just think they're the more complete team. So I'm with you. I don't think USC is going to make it to the to the college football playoff. However, I think that it's pretty clear once Lincoln Riley gets that thing going a little bit more, I know there's not a lot in his past to say he can put a great defense on the field. However, we have seen that he can recruit a lot of talent and I think he can get the defensive talent. I think they have the best chance to improve their defense enough to be a consistent contender for the college football playoff and national championships of anybody in that league, I think followed closely by Oregon because we've seen Oregon recruit at a really high level too. Dan Lanning, former defensive coordinator. I think he's done a nice job there. So I would rate them second, a team we might want to think about a little bit more going forward. You know, next two, three, five years is Washington. They got a huge win last night. They it got off to such a hard, uh, hot start to the season and then they dropped a couple and I feel like they were kind of forgotten, but now they are sitting at eight and two and they beat a, they won a huge rivalry game against Oregon and they got to be feeling really good about themselves in Kalen DeBoer's first year. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they really came to play and it's like you said, they, they start off high. I mean, Michael Penix has been great all year. They dropped the two games that were tough, but it, it's been fun to, to kind of see his, career get revitalized. I don't think that's hyperbole. I mean, he was really struggling at the end of his time at Indiana and it seems like this, this change worked out really well. And so, yeah, I mean, I, the, the, listen, the future's bright and, and uh, UW is definitely one of those teams for the conference. And that's another team that we saw in a past era. They had really good defensive teams. I mean, I don't have stats right in front of me right now, but the year they went to the college football playoff and they, they played Alabama they were very strong defensively. I, if my memory serves correctly, they were doing it during the Peterson era more with defense than they were with offense. So I think that's a really three. If those are three, I think those are three schools that can put it all together and become national championship caliber programs. And then you have Utah, who's the most consistent of them all. So I think despite the fact that it was a rough day for the Pac-12 yesterday, as I'm looking ahead to the 12-team playoff era, I think the future looks pretty bright. I don't think it's there yet this year, but I I think there are good times ahead for the Pac-12. I like it. Should we transition to the ACC? Because there's some stuff to talk about there, too. Yeah, let's do it, Brian. ACC. North Carolina beats Wake Forest. They are now 9-1. and one. Clemson and North Carolina, both one-loss teams, will play in the ACC championship game. A great ACC championship game, if you think about just the game being in Charlotte. I don't think you can ask for much more uh, from a, a, the fan base perspective than a game in Charlotte between Clemson and North Carolina. That place is going to be rocking. And my question for you is this. Is Clemson really better than North Carolina? Yeah, I I, I don't know. The, the lucky thing is we're going to find out. I think if I think when you think about why they're ranked ahead, I do think there's a little bit of a 
of a name thing there, right? A consistency. Uh, they were obviously ranked higher in the in the preseason and things like that. The resumes are are wildly similar if you look at them, right? Unbeaten in the conference, both of their only losses to Notre Dame. They both have close road wins at Wake Forest that might be considered the best win for each of them. I mean, Clemson has the NC State win. Carolina hasn't played them yet, so that's kind of a small differentiator. But there's not a ton there. Um, and so it, it it is interesting because obviously I don't think anybody <laughs> considered that Carolina was going to be in the division race, let alone unbeaten in the conference. So it's been really interesting. I think like they have, they've won a lot of close games. Uh, I mean, in their last five, a three point win at Miami, which by the way, it seems like you should beat Miami by more. Maybe that's neither here nor there. Three-point win at Duke. I mean, road wins and conference are hard to come by. That's fine. They won big uh, at home against Pitt. And then a three-point win at Virginia and the two-point win at Wake. So, listen, they're finding ways to win. I'm not trying to take anything away from them by saying that these are close wins. Um, But I I just think the the resumes are super close. Nothing nothing too impressive non-conference-wise from either of them. And so I think we're, we're going to get our opportunity. I don't think Clemson is going to slip up against Miami or South Carolina. Um, you know, North Carolina has the NC State game uh, to end the regular season. I, I don't think they'll get tripped up there. I think we're going to have two in-conference unbeatens matched up, and and we're going to find out. And, and so that's the beauty of the whole thing. Um, but uh, they deserve a ton of credit because in North Carolina, I feel like when Mac Brown first came back, he was – recruiting at a really high level and and Sam Howell was playing well and they were competitive and then they kind of went off the radar for a bit and like I said the expectations I don't think they were there for for this season but Drake May is super fun to watch I mean I remember we watched the the App State game together and and gave him a shout out uh, on the show here after because um the guy can the guy can sling it and he he can run an offense so um I don't I don't know. I think they're a lot closer to to get back to answer your question than people probably want to admit. Like, I don't think there there were a lot of years in Clemson's prime where you expected them to blow out the coastal team. And I don't think that that would happen uh, this year. If North Carolina had anything better than a bottom 20% defense in the country, I would go ahead and say North Carolina. But Ryan, they are ranked the uh, number 110 defense out of 131 teams in the country in SP plus. And that's just not going to cut it. If that was even a top 60 defense, I would go ahead and give it to North Carolina. Cause that offense is moving. Drake may clearly a better quarterback than anybody Clemson has on their roster. Right. And I think in this day and age, I have gotten to the point where I would say, okay, you show me two teams, one with an elite offense, one with an elite defense. I'm actually going to take the one with the elite offense. And Clemson has a very good defense. They should be an elite defense. I don't think they're quite there. I don't think they performed quite to the level that you expect out of them with, or what we thought based on the talent on that defense. So, if North Carolina could even show me a top 60 defense, I would go ahead and say North Carolina. But at this point, I just can't. Just like the Pac-12 teams, that is what keeps them from being a true college football playoff contender, in my opinion. Now, can they go to uh, to Charlotte and win in a shootout and make North Carolina put or make Clemson rather put up 40 points to beat them? Absolutely. Absolutely. They can uh, because they have the best quarterback. They have the better offense and today's game favors quarterbacks and offense. So I would say at this point, I think Clemson is the better all around team, but North Carolina might have higher potential because their offense is an elite unit. Their offense is the best unit on the field. And if they can find any way in these last three weeks to boost that defense up to an acceptable level, they can, they can beat that. They can beat Clemson in that game and then they'll get destroyed by Georgia. I mean, I would Georgia minus anything would be whatever. I would bet Georgia team total over. I would bet every sort of way, weird way to bet Georgia against North Carolina and not even think twice about it. But again, just like TCU, I don't think we need to be measuring them on that level. So 
give me Clemson as the more well-rounded team, but give me North Carolina as the team with more upside. I think that's totally fair. I think it's interesting. Like I, I, you know, part of me still thinks a one loss ACC champion needs a little bit of help. Right. But I, I think it's been interesting because I think when we've had this conversation, it's been like Clemson will need some help. And I think it's important. You know, language is important. Words are important. And I think we change Clemson will need some help to a one loss ACC champion will need some help because I think that a a like you said, there's not a ton of difference between the two teams. Whichever of those teams, if there is one, is a one loss ACC champion should get the same involvement in the conversation if that's north carolina 100 percent, 100 percent. and if they don't like oh there's obviously no way of truly knowing right but i don't know i can't help but shake the feeling that north carolina won't get the same shake that clemson would yeah like i like i think like the loser of the game at 11 and 1 I th- I I th- I think like I would expect whether or not I think it would happen. I think that they would get more respect than a one loss ACC champion North Carolina. Yeah, I think you're right. Which is I- so tough because title these conference titles have to count. They have to count. I like I, I know we don't have to go so far down this road, but like this is the whole like best teams most deserving teams thing. Like I I don't I don't know that I believe that North Carolina is better than Michigan, but if Michigan loses the game, even if it's close, it's like North Carolina went out and won every every game except one on their schedule, won a conference championship, beat Clemson, won a conference championship. I, I know that nobody wants North Carolina to be in this conversation because it's not sexy to have North Carolina in the college football playoff conversation, but I I think it's not a difficult argument to make that in that scenario, they should get consideration over the loser of the game. Is Clemson on a neutral field a better win than Penn State at home? Well, there you go. I I think so. Based on the college ball playoffs own rankings, yes. Yes, right. Yes. So so there you have it. And I, I, I wonder, like... I do think, you know, and I don't really watch the Tuesday shows anymore because it's just maddening to like they're, they're going to put the rankings however they want. And it's you can there's pros and cons to every team. And so if you get questioned on one thing, you just name the pro or the con that supports your argument. You don't really learn anything from it. Um, but I think like 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 Michigan did like beat the heck out of Penn State like that did happen. And it was it was resounding. Um, obviously, nothing impressive on the non-con and you know it's been a minute since michigan played a close game but they played michigan state Rutgers, and nebraska in the last three games so we're not i don't feel like we're learning a ton about them right now um but i i I think i think that's fair i think i think that win over clemson should vault them into the conversation it's just it's a scary thing and i'm talking about the loser of the game but you could also have the same conversation with tennessee right like they're not going to go to the sec championship game they're a very, very good team, and they'll likely be 11-1. and one. And the line's going to get drawn somewhere. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's a bit of a tangent, but I, I, I am excited to see how this plays out. And I kind of hope we get the committee's hand forced to a certain extent where it's like, okay, uh, Michigan or Ohio State's 11-1, no conference title game appearance. Tennessee's 11-1, no conference title game appearance. ACC champion is is uh 12 and one now with the ACC championship even TCU like if TCU does drop one and still wins the big 12 championship they're they're right there in that same conversation so um I we talked about this a bit a couple of weeks ago but it's it's a fun time when there's you know here recapping week 11 there's more than four teams that have a legitimate shot at the playoff as we have this conversation I feel like what I'm thinking as we talk is that even in this modern day and age of college football, do you think there's still a little bit of a bias against these offense-first programs? Because it seems like that's the knock against TCU right now. Like if you're a no, if you're not a name program, like it, there's not, I don't see a bias against Tennessee for it. But it does seem like if you're a name program or a not a name program where your offense is significantly better than your defense, 
you're labeled as like an you're labeled as this incomplete team that's unworthy of playing with the Georgias of the world where I I just don't think that's fair. That's not, am I projecting this or is that something you think that's a valid observation? I think that's valid. I think that's valid. I just think like uh, you get, you're going to run into a wall real quick. If you're trying to find a bunch of teams that you feel confident can compete with Georgia, you know what I mean? And so it's like, sure. I, I, I think you're onto something. Um, but like you can look at a lot of offenses and see clearly how they would struggle against Georgia. Yeah, because you keep hearing uh, Boo Corrigan, the chairman of the committee, talk about game. And they've mentioned game control a lot. And it's like Michigan controls the game. But what that really like what that sounds like to me, and I know there's a real stat of game control, but what it kind of sounds like to me is when I hear game control is like you are the more well-rounded team and they've actually talked about being well-rounded too so I don't even have to go into game control they have (laughs) talked about being well-rounded and I don't know that that matters I think that matters if you're trying to pick games I think that matters if you're trying to bet games but I don't know if it matters how well-rounded you are if you have an elite unit Georgia wasn't I mean Georgia had a good offense last year but they were really carried by that defense. That offense, I think, was good because of how well that defense set them up and what they were able to do because they had so much faith in that defense. So I don't know that being well LSU wasn't well-rounded in 2019. I mean, they had talent on their defense. They always do. But that was an offense-first team. So I just don't, I don't know that it matters, and I'd be very curious to see what the conversation would be if these were... North Carolina and TCU were both lining line it up, big offensive linemen, jam it down your throat, power running teams with elite defenses, how that conversation would change. There's no way of knowing, but I'd be interested to see. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I think it's a great segue to, to get into our top teams this week because I think like well, we'll we'll see what the differences are. But like I said, it's a little bit a little bit grasping at straws. I'll I'll go first. Uh, and I have Georgia number one. I think that's easy. I have Ohio State number two. I should have gone six to six to one, but here we are. I already unveiled the top two, so I'll keep going. Uh, live and learn. Um, so I kept Michigan at three and TCU at four. And I think like and and I'll let you do yours before we get into the conversation. But that's that's one to me where it's just like, no, I haven't learned anything about Michigan the last three games because they're playing these teams that you don't learn anything against. You just kind of control the game and handle business and whatever. Um, So I did leave them there. I have TCU at four. I have Tennessee at five and USC at, at six. Okay. So I think the top four is pretty clear and we have the same top four. Just I have TCU ahead of Michigan and The reason I put TCU ahead of Michigan is I think Penn State is the best win that either of those programs have, but I just like TCU's body of work with the teams that they've beat in the Big 12. Um, I think once you get – Penn State is the best win, but I think TCU between Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas, Baylor – I think there's several wins that are probably better than Michigan's second best win. So that is uh, wildly disrespectful to a 59 point win over bowl eligible UConn. Uh, <laughs> and I think that the uh, fighting Jim Morris deserve a little bit more respect in this argument. Fair enough. We're going to talk about them later. Okay. They're, okay. They're, there you go. They're, they're on my list. Okay. But that's why I put TCU ahead of Michigan. I just like their body of work better. I think they've played a tougher overall schedule, even if they haven't played the best team and don't have the best win. So that's why I put them three instead of Michigan. Why do you have Michigan three? I I just, I, I, I did this before when, you know, I didn't have Tennessee at one. I kept Georgia there. It's like the same idea where it's like, TCU is a great body of work. Michigan just hasn't done anything to me to like get docked. I will say here, looking at the schedule in real time, like, and you mentioned that the Penn State win was the best win. Like, so Michigan still has Illinois and Ohio State. Obviously, those two of the tougher games on their schedule, but 
obviously a lot's been made of the lackluster non-con but yeah like uh, you're right maybe i'm talking myself out of it here in real time but like michigan has wins their big 10 wins maryland iowa indiana of course we mentioned penn state and then michigan state rutgers nebraska like there's like 10 and 0 is 10 and 0 and i don't think they deserve to be knocked for it but like that ain't a murderer's row uh, that I just ran through. Um, so I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And, and Illinois is kind of tripping over themselves a bit right now. Um, and so I think they'll get through that one. But it does it does make for an interesting projection of the game, right? Because I do feel like Ohio State has looked like, for most part, one of the best two or three teams in the country all year. Um, and it and it is legitimately the only elite team, in my opinion, that that, that they'll face. So that, 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 that is interesting, but for me, it's just like, uh, all right, I think we're headed for a collision course of 11 and 0 Michigan, Ohio state, and uh, I'll just leave them there until we're able to settle it on the field. Do you think Michigan and Ohio state are at a disadvantage playing that game on Thanksgiving weekend? Do you think it would serve them better? And this will, I don't think this will ever happen, but given the current state of the big 10, where they are the clear two best teams, Penn State, a good top 20 team, but a distant third to them. Do you think it would serve them better to actually play that game earlier in the season? Because I feel like right now, it's just like all year, they look great, they look great. They've each beat Penn State. Who else have they beat? They're going to play this game on Thanksgiving weekend, and it serves as a de facto elimination game, where if they played it earlier in the year it might change the way we view things because somebody gets a win. Maybe it's a close loss for the other and then they go about their way and they have time to kind of build themselves back up throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think necessarily that's unique. Like, yes. Uh, So I think generally speaking, losing earlier is better. And so one of them is going to lose and it gives you this time to build yourself back up. I think about Oregon. If they didn't trip over themselves, they had worked themselves back up. And a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon would have had a real good shot at the playoff despite losing big early. I think we've seen that in the playoff era. I mean, the the, who did... The 2014 Ohio State team that that snuck in the playoff and won the title had a loss was at Virginia Tech that year, and and it came pretty early in the season, and then they they ran the table obviously. Um, so I I do think like it's a it, but I I guess my actual answer is talk to me in a couple of weeks when we know who made the playoffs, right? Because I do think the national conversation is that these are two of the best five teams in the country, and so I do think they're sort of set up to earn benefit of the doubt as long as it's a close game. Um, but I, I think just kind of as a general rule of thumb, this is why I think it's good to play a tough non-con. Like if you lose one, it's okay. You just pick up the pieces and, and move forward. Yeah, I would agree. I think, yeah, I, but you're also disincentivized right now to play a tough non-con. Cause look at Utah. If Utah did not schedule Florida, they would be in the college ball playoff conversation. Yeah, but they just they could have just not lost by lost by ten to UCLA. <laughs> I mean, they could have, but if you're playing in the Power Five, you're probably like, like you're gonna have a tough a few tough games. Right. I mean, I guess schedule. I guess the point is like look at Michigan, right? They schedule nobody, and we're talking about them. Like if they had a three point loss to an SEC team in non con. How are we talking about them differently? We're talking about that they're going to lose to Ohio State and be eliminated from the playoffs. So I think that that's that's actually a pretty good point. I, I think that's a good point. I don't know. It can kind of it can work both ways. It can work both ways. And I'm not sure. I just feel like when once the Big Ten does eventually ditch divisions, I think they might want to move. Consider. I think it might be in both of these teams' best interest to stop playing this game. Tradition be damned on Thanksgiving weekend and move it earlier in the season. Cause the, like it's also not appealing. Would you want to see a rematch of this game a week later? No, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just think it's something interesting to consider moving forward as we move into a new era of college football. All right. Well, let's get into some winners and losers, Brian. We, you already mentioned my big winner of the week. That's the Yukon Huskies bowl eligible at six and five, I have a niece that goes to UConn. She likes sports, not like the world's biggest sports fan, right? But she likes sports. She texted me this morning. 
did you see UConn's bowl eligible? And I was like, of course I did. Go Huskies, right? Sent a GIF, uh, GIF, GIF, whatever. I don't know. I call it GIF. I think I'm wrong in that. But I'm going to stick with GIF. That's what I like. I like it. GIF. Um, anyway, she responded back, him, Mora. <laughs> oh, it's too perfect. Oh, my God. It's so good. That's where we're at. We're in the him, Mora era. And if you said that to Jim Mora, he'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? I don't understand. <laughs> so UConn and him, Mora, winners of the week. There you go. And loser, Randy Etzel. Just kidding. But actually, though. Um, okay, my winner is uh, is UCF. Uh, UCF's got the inside track to the New Year's Six Bowl for, for G5 after they beat Tulane. Um, looked great doing it. They ran for more than 300 yards. They look like they're headed for the AAC title game. Um, really impressive job. Gus Malzahn. They, they've now beaten both Cincinnati and Tulane. Um, one of those teams is who they'll likely play again in the conference championship. So, um, just impressive. I think people, uh, I mean, they, we knew they were going to compete in the conference, but they've looked complete. Plumlee's been a great addition. Um, so shout out Gus and, and the Knights. Got to be honest. I was kind of sad about that because the thing I think I'm rooting for most in college football this year is a Tulane LSU Sugar Bowl. Um, that city would burn to the ground. Yeah, I, I think that'll be the coolest. I think that'll be one of the coolest things is somebody who loves college ball, is somebody who loves New Orleans, who's somebody who loves rivalries. I just think that would be the coolest thing. So there's still a chance it could happen, but I was kind of sad that that Tulane lost that and you know weakened their chances at that a little bit. So you never know though. For as far as losers go. I don't want to belabor this Michigan-Ohio State conversation any longer. We've already talked about them a lot. But I think through no fault of their own, they are losers this week because Illinois has now lost two in a row. And I think that really I think that really weakens the Big Ten's chances of getting both of those teams in and eliminates any leeway either of them had. Because I think if if Illinois had come into this game against Michigan next week as a one-loss team, Michigan, that presumably, like, that would be a top 10 college football playoff ranking team. That would be a big win for Michigan, really bolster their resume. And then on the flip side, like, if Illinois had won that game against Michigan next week and then maybe somehow beat Ohio State in the championship game or something along those lines, I think it still gives them a shot, gives Ohio State a shot to be like, okay, they're a one-loss team that lost in their conference championship game to a one-loss Illinois team who ran roughshod over the Big Ten West, beat Michigan, right? And now it has become very clear that it's Michigan, Ohio State, and everybody else. So through no fault of their own, I think Ohio State and Michigan are losers because Illinois has dropped two in a row. I think that's a great one. My loser, bit off the beaten path, but I'm going with Brent Pry and Virginia Tech. They are now 2-8, and eight, blown out by Duke this week. Uh, they've lost seven in a row for the first time since 1951. The last time, and this I, I guess you could call this silver lining, the last time Virginia Tech won only two games in a season was Frank Beamer's first year, 1987, and obviously that ended up working out okay. Um, but not not great. Not a great start for for Brad Prime, Virginia Tech. Should have gone, should have taken my big investment on Georgia Tech team total under, team wins under, and put it on Virginia Tech. Uh, just the wrong tech. But yeah, not a great start to the tenure for the Hokies. Definitely not. Well, a neighbor to the north of Virginia Tech, bit of a loser this weekend as well, Brian. Oh, yeah. That's Maryland. Maryland Terrapins getting drubbed by Penn State. 30 to nothing. I think it was very clear that game was over within minutes of it starting. Maryland is now six and four after a six and two start. They've been outscored 53 to 10 in their last two games following the bye. Where are you on this program right now? Well, I think what's frustrating is exactly what you said that you could tell it was over quickly. I think that, and we, we chatted a bit about this yesterday. You good or bad. For as far back as I can tell, you can you you know how a Maryland game is going to go like halfway through the first quarter because they they don't show an ability to make in game adjustments. So if they're able to do some things early, it, you can get excited because because they're probably going to be in it. They might blow it, but they're going to be in it. If they're not able to do much early, 
they've given absolutely no reason that you can expect that they'll be able to figure it out. And so we were watching the first couple of drives and Penn State just was bringing pressure on every play, blowing up anything Maryland was doing. Maryland was, you know, still calling these these deep pass plays and didn't have time to run them. And it just seemed disjointed, discombobulated from the jump. So that's a little bit specific to this to this game. Um, you know, as far as where I'm at on the program, like you try not to be a prisoner of the moment. We said before the season, get to six wins before this stretch that started with the Illinois game, and you're sort of playing with house money a bit. That doesn't mean it's not disheartening as hell to not be relevant in the last two games. And I think that there are levels, you know, it's it's just generally annoying that your hope for your college football team is to be competitive in games and not necessarily to win them. But it feels like that's, that's sort of um, where we're at. You know, we get to this point where they they won six games – Six and two, hot start. Probably should have beaten Purdue. Probably shouldn't have even won an extra game in that stretch. Um, and so you try to look at things at a macro level and be excited that we're probably looking at a seven-win regular season. It just feels a little bit different now. Before the season, I would have said seven and five is is lovely. Uh, give it to me. I'll take it. It doesn't feel like that would be an, an awesome end to this season so um i don't know it's it's obviously a little bit more context now but i was disappointed after the poor offensive showing at wisconsin that this was the poor offensive showing that we saw back-to-back games less than 100 pass yards when you're supposed to have this electric passing offense i don't know not not a fun not a fun weekend oh brian (laughs) as my gen z friends like to say I'm down horrendous right now. <laughs> down horrendous. I look, man, you know me. You know me for a long time. College football and college basketball are far and away my two favorite sports. Maryland football and Maryland basketball are 1A and 1B for me as far as the sports teams that I have the most passion for. And I was sitting there yesterday thinking, I just don't see a way, a reason for anybody who doesn't love Maryland football already to get invested in this program. And I don't, and I'm not saying like, that's not a shot at Mike's Mike Loxley. That's not a shot at what he's done. I think he's done some really good things here, but it's kind of the cold reality is why if you did not grow up on this, if you do not have an emotional attachment to this already, why would you invest your time, your emotions, your energy, your money in a team that seemingly can only compete with teams that are outside of the top 25. And whenever they play a team that you might have actually heard of or be relevant in the national college football conversation the game is over within minutes and I I, it's just it's it's so frustrating and disheartening that anytime there is any sort of spotlight on this program it's a giant egg after giant egg Wisconsin is not a good program right now like they are a fine or uh, not programs wrong word they are not a good team this year they are a fine team. They will go to a bowl game. They also fired their coach midseason. And the fact that Maryland just cannot put together a game that can get people in this area, which is a huge bandwagon area that would jump on this, this program's bandwagon if given a reason, and Maryland just cannot give them a reason, and it really gets me down because it's like, I invest this time. I love this program. I love this team. I love this university. And they, I just don't see why anybody else would join me on that boat right now if they are not already conditioned to do so, if you look at it objectively. And again, it's not a shot at Mike Loxley because I, I really like Mike Loxley. I think he is the best coach for this program. He was the best coach for it when they hired him, and he's done good things. But it's just hard to see how they ever get above a, a seven-win threshold. 
Yeah, two and nine in November under locks. And again, I think it's just it's tough because you're playing tough games, to be clear. That's when they tend to play the elite teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, no, I, I listen, you don't sound like a happy guy. I don't think too many uh, too many folks are clamoring to share these feelings of investing in this program and being let down. But is it so much to ask out of Okay, so every year, as of right now, until they go to a non-division format, play Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, right? Those are three games every year. And then typically with the crossovers, I feel like we're getting, Maryland's getting at least one top 25 caliber team from the West, whether it's Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, whatever. So that's essentially four games a year. Purdue against top 25 caliber teams, or if not somebody from the West, Michigan State might be in that range, right? Is it so much to ask out of those four games that you're maybe competitive? Like the game is competitive until the fourth quarter in half of them. You win one of them per year, or even if you look at it on a two-year rolling basis, you know, you're competitive in half of them and you win two out of eight over a four-year period, you win 25%. Like, is that so much to ask? Purdue does it. I mean, yeah, Purdue, I think Purdue is the best example, like, where they do it. Minnesota, what does Minnesota have that Maryland does not have that that enables them to do it? Because I, I, I don't think it's an unreasonable ask. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think, and I think it's, it's especially frustrating, like, obviously – you know, whether or not the Penn State thing is a rivalry, whatever. But that's like the measuring stick game each year, right? And so like 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 that's the that feels like the next that's the next tier, right? Like you said, like Ohio State, Michigan is there. Penn State's kind of a distant, but they're an elite uh, you know, a, an upper echelon Big Ten program. And Maryland's so kind of somewhere in this jumbled middle. And so right, you have to you have to compete in those games. You have to start competing. And they've never been able to do it, and it's uh, a bit a bit tiring. Down horrendous. <laughs> Is that the title of this episode when you upload it? I think it it should be. I think you're right. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a winner right there. Him Mora, not down horrendous. <laughs> All right, that got a chuckle out of me. That got me up a little bit. Here we go. There we go. Let's look ahead to week twelve. Some good games like we talked about in the Pac-12. I think that is the biggest one that I'm looking forward to watching. Uh, even still after UCLA's watch is, I think they call it the Crosstown Showdown these days between UCLA and USC. That's the game I want to watch. Uh, another game that I want to watch, sticking with the Big Ten, is Iowa-Minnesota. Total of 32 and a half. But it's a big game in the Big Ten West. Right now in the Big Ten West, you have four teams tied atop the division at four and three, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota. You know, I know whoever wins that division is probably going to be a sacrificial lamb to Michigan or Ohio State, but it's meaningful to those programs. Winning a division title is meaningful to a program, so I don't discount that. And I think it's a a fun race there over the last two weeks, so I'll I'll check out Minnesota-Iowa. How about you? Yeah, I like those. Yeah, I, I'm still going to watch Pac-12 Double Dip. I just wish it it meant a little bit more. Um, I think uh, SMU Tulane on Thursday is still going to be fun. That's that that's one could could be an enjoyable watch. But yeah, I, I think you pretty much hit it. There's a there's a few others you know that I think are are worth watching. But those are the big ones. Awesome. All right, Brian. Before we get out of here, I'm gonna do a little self promotion. I'm going to put you on the spot with a question. So I am excited to share with everybody that. On Monday, November 21st, I am releasing the first episode of my three-part narrative podcast series on the Johnny's and Tommy's rivalry, a long-time, intense, passionate Division Three football rivalry that was ripped away from the people who cherish it a couple years ago. It's a it's a really cool story. I talked to 14 different people who either covered the rivalry, uh, played in the rivalry, got their perspective on it, a little bit of a history on how that rivalry kind of came to be, how it reached its peak where they actually 
played in the Minnesota Twins Stadium, filled that place up for a Division Three football game between two uh, small private Catholic schools, and then eventually how it, it disappeared. And it didn't go out with a bang. It, it kind of went out with a fizzle, and, and something's kind of been lost. So that is coming out. I'm very excited about it. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Brian, you are one of the only people who has listened to it start to finish. What did you find cool about that story? Oh, man, there's so many cool anecdotes. I think the fact that you talked to so many people really, really made it special. Everybody has their own stories in a rivalry like that. Um, And there's a particular stat. I don't want to give it away, but uh, there was a a big blowout um, that is referenced. uh, That's one of my favorite kind of like fun college football stories I've ever heard that came from the podcast. So, um, but I, I, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal story start to finish because there's every individual story, but it's just one of those things that means so much to so many people and to, to kind of see all the factors that led to it getting where it is today. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's really well done. So kudos to you and everybody out there should definitely download and listen because it's a, it's a great sports story, but it's more than that too, because it just means a lot to, to the people of that area. So highly recommend a download and a listen. Thanks, Brian. I agree. That was one of the coolest things for me is getting into this story, getting into this rivalry. It's like, like you said, it's very clear how much it means to so many people. And we know about the Iron Bowl. We know about the game. We know about these big Division One rivalries. But it was very clear that this game means just as much to so many people. Maybe not quite as many people because just these schools are smaller, but it really did take on a life of its own. And, and it's clear how meaningful it is. And I think it's part of what makes college football so great and what I love about college football. So I really enjoyed working on it and uh, I hope it's a product that everybody checks out and enjoys. Well, that's our show, Brian, ton of fun as always love talking college football with you. We only have two full weeks left. It's hard to believe, but we're going to have a ton of great content coming out over the remainder of this college football season. Got a couple regular season weeks left. Then we got bowl season, uh, championship week, bowl season, the college football playoff. So we're going to have a lot coming out for you. We're not going to have a show next week. Brian and I are going to be traveling, so won't be able to get anything to you next Sunday, but see what we can do maybe in the week, maybe do something ahead of the the college football uh, playoff rankings or a reaction to it on Tuesday after week 12, but there will be a ton of good stuff throughout the rest of this season. That's our show. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.